us Americans feel abandoned by the leaders of our country right now, by the political elite and the corporate elite. I think that they feel like the people who run this country don't care about them and don't have their interests in mind at all. And maybe that would be, that would be one thing if lower and middle-class Americans were doing fine and it was easy enough to get by as it might've been 40 or 50 or 60 years ago, a little bit easier to thrive, but now it's become more difficult to earn a living. Real wages have stagnated since the 1970s. Sam Clemens is exactly the kind of thinker that only the internet could create. He not only shares a name with one of America's most famous writers, today he makes his own living writing a newsletter, The Unhedged Capitalist, where he explores ideas that strike him as illogical in an attempt to find some logic behind them. A few weeks ago, Sam introduced us to the song Rich Men, North of Richmond by Oliver Anthony, which hauntingly captures the frustration of the American worker. Since he identified this song in his newsletter a month ago, the YouTube video has been viewed more than 40 million times and the song hit the top of the billboard charts. Mark and I wanted to ask Sam Clemens what he really thinks of Oliver Anthony's song and how he explains this viral sensation. Welcome to What I See, the podcast where we uncover the stories of visionaries, innovators, and entrepreneurs. Join us as we explore the big ideas and challenges shaping our future. And now our hosts, Mark O'Donnell and Lewis Schiff. Hey, Mark, how are you? I'm doing amazing, Lewis. Good to see you after our excursion at Oxford University a few weeks ago. It's, we have good lives that we get to hang out at Oxford and we get to uh, plunder the halls of the great academic institutions of the world. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, of course, I don't think either of us belong in those halls, but it was good to visit anyway. <laughs> it's the only way we're ever getting there, Mark. That's right. In you got to pay shop. your way in. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we actually, speaking of you know, in, uh, innovators, visionaries, and entrepreneurs, our favorite topic, we certainly had a good time meeting a lot of great entrepreneurs and spending some time with cool people. Oh, I mean, the, to hang out with a bunch of entrepreneurs who are um, really just open-minded, they are ambitious, they want to make an impact on the world for the good, is a very special experience that uh, not very many people have the opportunity to have that type of community they can participate with. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That was a great conference. We'll be back there next year. We'll talk to money makers. So Mark, uh, I think probably while we were in Oxford, actually, um, this, uh, this song comes out and maybe it was when we were in Oxford, maybe it was the, like the day we got back, we, we all got back more or less. Yeah. Uh, and just takes off like a rocket. Uh, and I want to share with you how I found out about it because uh, we're going to bring on the person who introduced me to the song. His name is Sam Clements. Uh, Sam is a writer. He's a traveler. He's a surfer. He's lived all over the world, including Russia, India, and Peru. He currently resides in Bali where he uh, surfs big waves regularly and he likes to read. He started out his life in uh, near Buffalo, New York, in upstate New York. Uh, but one of the things he did is he started a newsletter on Substack uh, called The Unhedged Capitalists. 
And um, I was introduced to non-hedge capitalists because he actually wrote about a book I wrote uh, and he kind of dug into it. He had come across it. He likes to read complicated books and he likes to kind of try to disentangle events happening in the world. And he, the, the more weird they are, the, the more interested he becomes. And he sent his newsletter. So Substack's kind of uh, not exactly part of the story, but sort of in the sense that Substack is an environment where people say, hey, maybe I can make a living by putting my thoughts down regularly. And maybe I can find 10 or 100 or 1,000 or a million people who want to read it. Maybe they'll pay me $5 or something like that. And uh, you can cobble together a living, in some cases, much more than just cobble together a living. So we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, this, this, the virality of this music that we we're going to talk about. But Substack also kind of premise of the same concept of virality. What, what's your thinking and taking on how things can go viral in this world nowadays? Well, I, I think it's an interesting concept, right? Everyone wants to go viral. Uh, everyone wants this. You know, I have teenagers and, and they are jumping on all of these trends as they occur. They all hope that they would go viral with all of their videos. So I think that there isn't really an uh, interesting mix. Uh, they, they follow Mr. Beast and Mr. Beast has gone viral, you know, hundreds of times. Um, but he, he created a, a formula for that. And he, to me, was probably one of the people that I paid attention to earliest who were able to create consistent viral uh, videos. And they're always interesting. They're relatively short. They're a little bit weird. And uh, they're a lot of fun, right? And, and it's predictable over time. And I think in this case, uh, with this song, it was kind of none of those things. It just showed up. And I don't even know exactly, and maybe Sam can tell us how it showed up. But from my perspective, this one is topical, right? People, And it resonates with how people are feeling how people are thinking, and it's not all all people, but it's a enough whether you hate what was said in his song or you love it and resonate with it, you're still watching it. And so I think that it's sort of like a, a short squeeze in in the stock market, right? All of a sudden, everyone jumps yeah. on, and just shoots up um, because that's really what's been been happening with the song. And then they start to who is this guy? What else has he done? And so they they start going on to his other content yeah. that he's created, and then of course all the all, everything he's created rises. So I I think he hit on and why it goes viral is because it's the right time, it's the right content at the exact right time, um, and people continue talking about it, and of course that has a compounding effect um, over a short period of time. And yeah. I think that's that's why it took off. Well, let's bring on Sam Clemens. Sam, come and join us. Uh, and let's see what's happening with this song. I, I find vi viral stuff um, uh, scary. I, and I, what I mean by that is I, I would be afraid of being the, uh, what do you, whatever you call it, the subject of, of virality. Because <clears throat> um, it's basically, it, this, we're talking here literally about a song, but it's about it's the old concept of the one hit wonder. Mm -hmm. You know how often I'm driving around the country and like heading into some sort of a town that's maybe like a town that has some entertainment value and you'll see like on the local uh, Holiday Inn, there'll be a sign that says, you know, like um, REO Speedwagons here this weekend or something. And you think 
that's is that a life that you want to have? Do you want to have a one hit wonder in the eighties and then chase it for the rest of your life? But Mr. Beast is the opposite of that. He's managed to do it over and over again, deconstruct the success of it. Right. And he, and he did it slowly over time and he set goals when he was just a, you know, little kid basically, and that he's going to do this on purpose. And he, he mastered a, a craft. And I think with, uh, the the artist here, I watched some videos that he had done and he said, I'm not very good. Like I am a bad musician. And he says this very clearly. I'm a bad musician. I don't even know my way around a guitar. I sing okay. And here I am, you know, the most popular man in the United States <laughs> all of a sudden. Like, yeah. That's just wild to happen. And he's admitting he has no mastery of any particular craft. Uh, right. which he's you, perfectly set up made, to be a one-hit wonder. I think you made a really good point there with Mr. Beast. It would be preferable to build it slowly over time, right? Versus just having it explode in your face overnight like this, I think. So, so Sam, um, thanks for joining us. You're coming from Bali, right? Yes. So Bali is uh, Indonesia. Um, and it's basically... Not, not everyone knows that. They don't. Well, and not everyone knows where Indonesia is either, so I'm not sure that helps. But um, it's basically you're 12 hours on the other side of the planet from us right now. So thank you yeah. for joining us at what is for you an odd hour. Um, but you don't look Balinese and you don't sound Balinese. Um, what the heck are you doing in Bali? Uh, well, just in 30 seconds or less, after I graduated from university, I wanted to learn Russian. And so I moved to Russia. I lived in Russia. And after that, I lived in Ukraine. And after that, I actually, yeah, I did learn how to speak Russian. And after that, I started traveling and I've been traveling for the last decade. And at some point I ended up in Bali and I realized the surfing was really good. And uh, I've been here ever since doing that. And so the unhedged capitalist, which is your newsletter, uh, which again, I was just very delighted. You're a very creative thinker and you wrote about a book I wrote and you just went, went into it a little bit. And then I start to receive the newsletter. So what I understand about what you're essentially doing with your life, other than surfing is you're observing the world and trying to put your own spin on what you see. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Um, I'm trying to figure out what's actually going on. I'm trying to take the politics out of it, take the hype out of it, and just figure out what, what is actually happening here in society and why are these weird things happening? Mm-hmm. And what, what's your, yeah, so what's your approach? I mean, in other words, what do you, what, if you had to say I have a tack, I have a, things like this, you know, become red flags to me or something like that where you say, this is what I'm looking for. Uh, well, when there's something illogical happening, that uh, that's very obvious. For example, right now, there's this idea that men can get pregnant, and that seems a little bit weird to me. And so, well, what's happening there? And it's, I think that it's an idea that people are following, people are falling more into groups now than they were 10 or 20 years ago. And so I'll start to think about why is that happening? And that led me Just recently, I read the book, The True Believer, which was written in 1940 or 1950, I should say. Eric Hoffer, that's a good one. Yes. Yeah, it was a great one. So he he talked about how people can fall into groupthink and how they can 
start to believe things that aren't necessarily true because they want to be part of the group. And so that's interesting to me. So that, that seems to help explain this a little bit. So I just, I just wrote about that book and, um, yeah, so I just, I find these ideas that don't make a lot of sense. And I try to think, well, what's actually going on here instead of just saying, well, that's crazy. And these people are nuts. Well, it's not very helpful. So I'm trying to get beneath the surface of that. So you came across this song uh, relatively early. Um, uh, if it's, if, let's say the song has, what, a three or four week lifespan at this point. So you could almost give it a four week plan. You, you were there at week one, I would argue, and, wrote, and writing about it at week one. Um, what, what was it about the song that's, that, given your view of the world, you know, what's going on here? What, why did the song strike you? Uh, well, the first thing is, it's just a very beautiful song. It's very easy on the ears. I loved listening to it. And so I listened to it a few times. And after that, what struck me is that I haven't heard many musicians uh, write songs that speak to the lower and middle class of America. This is a topic I, I read about a lot. And I think there, there are a lot of substacks I follow that talk about these topics, but I haven't heard many musicians cover it. And so when I heard about when I heard this song, Oliver Anthony, uh, lamenting some of the things that lower and middle-class Americans feel, I thought that was really exceptional. And it's not something I've seen. Uh, yeah, it's not something I've seen a lot of recently. So it really stood out to me. Uh, the song, which I, we, we, we talked about the song so much, I realized we probably haven't mentioned the song. <laughs> we should probably do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The song is uh, Rich Men north of richmond so it's an allusion to richmond virginia which is sort of uh probably around the mason dixon line or something there it sort of divides the north from the south on the east coast of america yes the and the artist is his goes by the name oliver anthony music or sometimes just oliver anthony and um yeah i remember i got the your, your newsletter which i read and i went and looked at the music you know clicked on it got, ended up at youtube and uh, yeah, I was struck by just about everything about it, which is why I mentioned it to Mark right after that. Uh, I was struck by um, the way he looks. He, he kind of looks like he's both genuinely enjoying performing as well as he looks like he's in some pain. Mm. Uh, I think the sound, I like the audio engineering of it is like a sort of a, has a hollowness to it, which is he's sort of singing about the hollowed out American. And, and then of course the words, which was, you know, a lot of what we want to get into. But I, I found they veered between a very, very clever, very, very uh, astute, and then also very, very, like, um, silly or unclear in some ways. Um, and I, but I do like even just starting with the title, Richmond, North of Richmond. And it's just a very, it's a clever title. And, you know, Mark, you and I, sometimes we get in trouble for doing this, but you, you and I are essentially in the, in the scheme of the world, we are two rich men immediately north of Richmond. Yeah, indeed we are. Yeah, that, that would be so the it's case. worth noting. That. Yeah, <laughs> um, Mark, what do you think when you first came across this song? Yeah, you you sent it to me, and and so I uh, listened to the song a few times. I think it has. Uh, it's clear to me in, that he comes across as very authentic. He's out in the middle of the woods on a farm somewhere in Virginia. He has had his old hounds next to him, and and he's. It's just really. It's, it, it appears very authentic. It appears very uh, representative of 
pretty much everyone who does not live in a city in the United States or at least in the suburbs of one. And so I think it, to me, it immediately resonated as authentic. Uh, and I like the way you talked about it. He does look like he's a little bit of pain. His voice is haunting. You do empathize with the lyrics in a lot of ways. Uh, so to me, it just came across as uh, something a little bit unique, a little bit different than you would normally find um, opening up iTunes and listen to a highly produced uh, song um, that has some backing to it. This appears as it has no backing whatsoever. And he turned on his phone and did some audio engineering all on his own. That's what it would yeah. to be. Yeah. Um what is it that strikes you, Sam, given that you're looking at the world of what, what looks different in the world? Um, you know, how, what would be your explanation about why this was uh, a song that captured a lot of people's attention at the same time? Uh, well, I think a lot of lower and middle class Americans feel abandoned by the leaders of our country right now, by the political elite and the corporate elite. I think that they feel like the people who run this country don't care about them and don't have their interests in mind at all. And maybe that would be, that would be one thing if lower and middle-class Americans were doing fine and it was easy enough to get by as it might've been 40 or 50 or 60 years ago, a little bit easier to thrive, but now it's become more difficult to earn a living. Real wages have stagnated since the 1970s. It's increasingly difficult to just get by and, and now inflation on top of all of that. And so you have an upper class who seems to actively disdain the lower class and it's very hard to survive. And Anthony's lyrics speak to that. And it resonates with so many people because they do feel lost and abandoned by uh, a country, a country which they often love and care for, but they feel left behind. Yeah. I find the whole, I mean, I know you were just sharing that as a point of view, but I, I find the whole notion that that's sort of the state of the world is troubling. Um, if I could put a beginning, if I could edit your words or go back to the beginning of it, it would be, um, this is how they feel, but who knows, but it may or may not be true. In other words, this world may or may not, may or may not actually be a worse place to live. Uh, they certainly feel as though it's a worse place for them. Um, but I would, I think about all the advances in their life. I mean, that song was cut on an iPhone, which basically for a few hundred bucks gives Oliver Anthony and his friends access to the entire world that he did, wouldn't have had 50 years ago. Like the world is a better place, but I guess people get hung up on comparing themselves to others. Yeah, there are rich people who have five houses and you may only have one, but that one house has cable TV, air conditioning. Um, there's a hospital down the road that is much more likely to be able to save your life than it would have 20, 50 years ago. Your kids are getting a much better education than they ever got before. In fact, a hundred years ago, there was no place for them to get educated. Like I look at the world, I say, yeah, if you want to compare yourself to everyone else, sure. There's always people who are living much, 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 much better than you, but you're living pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Mark? So to oh, add ahead. on to that by every economic metric. Every single one. Americans, specifically, uh, this being in Virginia, 
are better off today than they've ever been before. While we, uh, real wages have stagnated, uh, they it re, real wages are real wages, right? It's inflation adjusted. So the exact same amount of goods and services a person could buy in 1970 is the same amount of goods and services they could buy today. Um, and that's really about disposable income. But everything, every uh, GDP per capita, the the number of poor people in the United States is at the lowest it's really ever been. The number of homeless as a whole number is way less than it was in the 80s or 90s. Uh, they really started tracking in 2007. But by every economic metric, people are much better off today. And I think, Lewis, you hit on it in terms of comparison because uh, while there's definite inequality that exists in the United States, um, I think the, and you and I, Lewis, we're talking about this a little bit, which is from my perspective, it's really a happiness inequality. It's not really an economic inequality, which is a complete and utter, um, comparison trap that we, we, we are biologically hardwired to compare ourselves to everyone around us. And when you go on social media and you see people on the front of their, their uh, G5s and, you know, and their, their purse, their jets and, and they going out these fancy vacations or uh, going to Oxford like you and I did, um, their people are comparing themselves. And so they feel, they genuinely feel like they are lost, left behind, not doing well. And yet it's actually not true in comparative in, in, in real terms, in terms of health, safety, access to food, so forth. Yeah, I, would, I was going to say the exact same thing. We are hardwired as humans to compare ourselves to each other. And it's very difficult when you see uh, the something like the average salary for a CEO, which used to be, I'm just making up numbers, 50 times the average worker's salary. And now it's 5,000 times or something like that, where you see the wealthiest people just have exponential growth in their standard of living well. The lower class kind of stagnates. That's very difficult. And another point I would make is that you talked about a lot of economic factors, which is, which is true. It is true, but there's another aspect here, which is the hollowing out of the social factor. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, a lot of what was great about being lower and middle-class Americans traditionally was the strong social bonds you had in your community, whether that was church or your local uh, clubs that you were a part of, going to the fair, participating in your community. And that has all been hollowed out. And, you know, why that's happened is an entirely different conversation, but that's that's missing, too. And that's something we we have to account for. So that so the, the sort of I think there's like three ideas we keep playing with. One is that this song is literally a comparison song. I mean, the title is Richmond North of Richmond. It's in the title. Um, then there's the kind of uh, premise of the song, which is uh, it's so hard for me while you seem to be thriving, Oliver Anthony says about two groups of people. And then there's the virality of it. Okay. Like after all, this song would have, could have and would have come out and his hundred friends would have seen it. If it had not gone viral, we wouldn't be talking about it. Then this, and we don't need to go into politics, but this is also the whole point behind Donald Trump, which is the only reason we keep talking about him is because so many people keep following him. Uh, otherwise he'd be forgotten by history as everyone else gets to be forgotten. 
So what is it about this song that is capturing the imagination of so many people? Is it enough that you can say, uh, my life stinks, your life is way too good, that's not fair, um, I need to get what's mine. And that, you know, in a well-produced song like this thing is, um, why would that go viral? Why, why is that the message that everyone or so many millions of people are waiting to hear? I think there's another aspect here. If uh, we look at this, uh, Lord knows they all just want to have total control, want to know what you think, want to know what you do. So I think what he's touching on there and what a lot of people resonate with is that it's not enough. But they feel like the upper class, the elites of this country are also dominating the narrative and trying to shove their beliefs and their point of view down middle and lower America's throats, whether it's the Hollywood and the message they are increasingly putting out about diversity and inclusion. And that it's just it's a it's a message that's not ringing true with a lot of working class Americans. They just they don't like, yeah, they don't like how the wealthy are controlling this and trying to tell them what they can say and do. But I mean, but the irony of it all, look, not to get hung up too, too much on this individual Oliver Anthony, but this individual Oliver Anthony is in many ways their role model. He speaks for them. He looks like them. He grew up with them. He is, he is viral. He's not the only one. There's lots of people out there like that, that came from nothing that have prominence. If you're, Pick your identity group. If you're a woman of color, there's some amazing women of color out there that you can identify with. If you are, uh, you know, it just goes on and on about how there's so many role models out there. So if you, I guess, and Mark and I, you and I were talking about this. I mean, when I, I when I first heard the song, as I often do when I think about people who, who have less than, than I do, I have total compassion for their experience. I really, I can access my compassion very easily. Think about what it must be like to be them, the essence of compassion. Think about how hard that is. Um, and then then within about 20 seconds of doing that, then I flip to my other self, which is they also have so much opportunity. There are so many role models. They have, you know, what separates them from someone else would be, let's say, some of the things that some of the people you and I hang out with, Mark, which are mm -hmm. these people who came from nothing, worked their butt off, took big chances, and then ended up pulling a lot of, you know, not just wealth together, but um, community and bringing a lot of other people with them. And so I just, we, I guess it's partly because I spend time with so many people who my friend Van Sullivan always describes himself as a dirt farmer from Kentucky, you know, and how he is now on top of a very big um, company. How often I wonder why do people let themselves wallow in that state of mind? And I think that, that, uh, the context in which people live creates that, that state of mind in a lot of ways. I grew up very poor. I didn't, my, my parents didn't, didn't have much. So I would put myself, I was, uh, in, in that group. Um, and I had a total, the advantage of that in the way I grew up. Um, my parents were doing their, their jobs best they can. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we didn't have much. But I was given total and utter freedom by them with my brother to go do whatever it is that I wanted <laughs> with no parental supervision. And so you think, oh, that's awful. Well, I 
was 11 years old and I went to the neighbors and I said, Hey, can I cut your grass? Um, and they said, yes. And they paid me $5 and I'm like, Oh, okay. So this is really interesting. I took responsibility for the fact that my parents didn't have enough to pay for my school lunches or give me a lunch to take to school. So I went and made my own and I took full responsibility for that. And I think a lot of people don't really want to take responsibility for their own lives and live in a place uh, that comes, and, and I think people have two mindsets. One is scarcity and fear, and one is abundance and love. So you, in order to live in a world and, and the entrepreneurs that we um, have conversations with and are in community with, most of them uh, had some li little scarcity moments that drove them, but then they quickly moved to a place of abundance and love where they realize that there's more than enough to go around, that I'm here to add value. I'm bringing my unique capabilities into the world and I'm here to make an impact. And the more value I create for other people, the more value I create for myself. And they just can keep doing that. And so they help one another, they collaborate with one another. And the result of that is you have entrepreneurial groups that just continuously rise and rise and rise because they're operating from a place of abundance and love versus scarcity and fear. And I think Oliver Anthony is resonating with the masses who live every day from a place of scarcity and fear versus abundance and love. And um, that's just the state of it. And that and that explains this virality that there's a lot of other people who live like that. Yeah. What do you, what do you think, Sam? Well, I think that you have touched upon the best critique of this song because, you know, I, I'm supposed to be the one defending it here. And yet my mindset is uh, just like both of yours. I, I adopt a mindset of radical responsibility for everything that happens to me. And I look at my life as something that I have complete control over and I accept responsibility for the bad and the good that happens to me. So I, I am in agreement with you. I can, I can really enjoy this song. I think it, I think it has a message that resonates with a lot of people. And yet I also completely believe that you have to take control of your life and responsibility for it. So maybe, maybe this song can be a stepping stone to something, um, a more positive message from Oliver Anthony in the future we might hear. I, I definitely worry that, um, I mean, I, it, actually this horse is well, well, well out of the barn that a lot of people just feel as though uh, they got the shit end of things and it's just not coming back for them. And um, I, I love the way Mark, you, when we do these conversations, you frequently bring up your point of view around scarcity and abundance, which I'm always grateful that you do. Um, but yeah, that, I, that you hit it. That part of the world that wants to hear this song and wants to resonate with the song operates out of scarcity and fear. And I mean, collectively, we can all try to figure out how to reverse that. I'm not, you know, and I think there are a lot of, if you just go into the world of songs, actually there are quite a lot of self-empowerment songs that are also very popular. Um, but this song took off like a rocket because there's a palpable, deep chasm of, you know, s scarcity out there. And in one of our earliest emails, you alluded to that being something that's been purposely programmed into people over several decades or a century. Even I think you said you believe that message was planted there 
at least semi-consciously yeah. by people. Oh yeah, I mean, I watched the the debate this week, and you know, uh, it's just, and this is it doesn't matter, Democrat or Republican. It's just the message is always, your life stinks. If you elect me, I will help you. It, like that's, yeah. and they and then they put billions of dollars behind that message, and then of course after a while you think, well, my life does stink, you know, because they say it so often. Right. Mm-hmm. And to echo off that, Lewis, um, I, I uh, on your prompting watched the the opening because they they the first question of the GOP debate was around this song. Why does this this resonate? And some people said, you know, the, the our country is on decline. Total. Everything is a dumpster fire. Well, that 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 response to led to my my research to say, is it really? And the answer is, of course not. It is not a dumpster fire. And there was one of the candidates who just said, well, the reason is we lack vision. And I think and he was the only one to say it. Everyone else was in total agreement that, you know, crash and burn. The the other side is doing a bad job and they're not. Um, Are they doing the exact right job? Who knows? Who cares? Um, But all the data points from an economic perspective would say that they're doing just fine. Uh, And Dan Sullivan, a strategic coach, he he would he likes to simplify things. And and a lot of it resonates with me is he he said that really happiness comes from a future that is bigger than your past. Mm -hmm. And I think that that only that one candidate said, well, we're missing a future that is bigger than our past. And if your past is, is bigger than your future, well, that's sort of a, a signal to the universe that, you know, you're done, right? What, what's the point? And you, you see this in people, they're talking about the good old days that used to exist, you know, what in my, back in my day. Um, and, and most of it isn't really um, based in reality, it's just certainly perception. But if you have a future that is always bigger than your past, uh, that gives you hope, that gives you ambition, that wants you to take responsibility for your current um, life situation, whatever it might be, um, which is really embodied in what entrepreneurs do every single day, mainly because you've made decisions that make give you no other choice but to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so I want to sort of uh, come to an end question here, which is, since this is being uh, recorded, um, Oliver Anthony is either a one-hit wonder or he has tapped into an audience where he's their uh, avatar. Um, again, not as these things go in media, it's not just the song, it's the way he looks, it's the, it's the backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, do we think Oliver Anthony is here to stay because he's tapped into a message? Or do we think this is just um, going to be one of those things like, oh, that was the summer of 23, <laughs> where we, that, that thing happened? Uh, love to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, Mark first, and then let's go to Sam. I think he's a one-hit wonder because he said it himself. He's a bad musician, <laughs> has an okay voice. Um, and I think that, I mean, now granted, he just has an, such soul that he's bringing to these, these songs. You can tell he believes it. He, it's authentic. But I think based on the topic, it's going to run out. Sam, what do you think? Now, unfortunately, I cannot remember the name of the musician, but my dad just told me a few days ago there was a musician in the 80s who wrote a one-hit wonder song, and he made so much off the royalties from that one song that he was able to take that money and travel all over America for the next couple of decades just playing 
fairs, local regional bars, anywhere. He, he was an actual true musician in the sense that he loved to play and he loved to do that. So while Oliver Anthony might be a one hit wonder in the, in the, on the national stage, this one blow up of his might give him the opportunity to continue to play all over the country at smaller gatherings and uh, locally and speak to lots of people for many years to come. So maybe, maybe he's a national one hit wonder and a local um, staying power. So I'm going to take the other side then. I believe this. I think um, grievance sells and I think he could, he could get a strong 10 or 20 year career out of mastering the art of putting grievance to music. I believe that. And I, and if he surrounds himself with the right people, it's going to be kind of like Mr. Beast. I don't, I think virality will still always happen spontaneously, but I also think there's a lot of really smart people out there trying to master virality, trying to turn it into a thing where they can make it happen sort of, you know, not every time, but they they have a formula for it, like a Mr. Beast. And I think if he's, if he does a lot of things, right, he will say, let's go into the grievance business. Let's put out music every so often. This one was done in my backyard with some hound dogs around me. The next one's got to be, you know, in a, in a junkyard. The next one's got to be at a brewery, whatever. It's be very thoughtful and calculated. And he could become the one of the voices for Grievance. And I think there's just a gigantic audience that wants to buy Grievance. Makes him feel good. Unfortunately. Yeah. Fair point. And if he gets the right people around him, I mean, think about Taylor Swift. Um who's from my town, she's from where I'm standing today, is uh, she's made a career out of the breakup song, right? I mean, that's really, yeah, right. like pretty much every was uh, pretty much the same. If, I mean, if he gets the right people around him, uh, that that's certainly a possibility. And, and I hope that that's the case for him. I mean, it's a great entrepreneurial opportunity for him. It is, but I mean, I, I, um, I'm really feeling bad that you know the entire uh, political operative space is built around uh, making people feel bad about their lives, just so yeah. that they'll end it with. But if you elect me, I'll fix it. Um, and I f- would feel bad as I, I do feel bad that there could be a way to sell grievance for a living musically as well. Uh, you know, I just think it's not. It's it um, commercializes. And, and, you know, commercialization is very, a lot of clever people work really hard at commercialization of anything. And, and it commercializes, commercializes scarcity. And I don't think that the, just like soda is not good for you, even though, you know, really great marketers have convinced us we want it. I don't think grievance songs are good for us either. I don't think so. Yeah. Well, we'll see if he continues down that path. He has a, he has a really good voice, so he does. maybe he could change his message too a bit and, We'll see. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, thanks for introducing us to this video and this song to begin with. Uh, keep keeping your eyes open for the unexplained and the illogical. Yep. Yep. Well, thanks for having me on, Lewis. And thanks, Mark. Yeah. Good to meet you. And Sam, I do have one last question for you. Your name is Sam Clemens. Yes. <laughs> and you yeah. are a writer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, they uh, they had the last name, so they figured, why not just go with it? Yep. <laughs> hey, and then your career was already chosen then, for you. Yeah. Preordained. Fate. Well, Fate. I had no choice. Hopefully, you'll have me. Twain's uh, Twain's success and and relevance as well. Yeah. Yes. Let's hope. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Thanks. Thank you, guys. See you later. Bye. Well. <clears throat> You know, I 
I feel bad a little bit about this conversation in the sense that <clears throat> I, you know, I, 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 I'm a, I am a progressive. I really am. I believe in diversity and inclusion. Obviously, that can also become um, over overdone, but it, but I believe in it. I feel like you and I, three white men, not that we not that we came from privilege. None of us did, but we do have some privilege just that goes along with you know color of our skin and our gender. And we're sitting here talking about all these other people and how they should sort of pick themselves up by their bootstraps and get their act together. I guess I just want to make clear. I also fully, fully, fully embrace and understand how hard it can be for people to pick themselves up by their bootstraps when they're struggling with addiction and mental illness and just generally not being as well received by the world as other people are. And um, so I always have this strong compassion, even when I heard this song, and then it just it always yields to frustration about like, yeah. why can't let, let's get going? Stop. Let's stop talking about it. Let's stop singing about it. Let's stop celebrating it and let's go the other way towards you to use your wonderful words towards abundance and love. And I agree with you, Lewis, uh, on all of that. I do have a sense of compassion and, um, you know, the, the Ben Hardy wrote a book uh, a while ago. Uh, he's a organizational psychologist and he, he wrote about willpower doesn't work. And when we talk about, you know, oh, just take responsibility for your life. I don't really mean it in that way. And, and I understand that there's complete and utter resistance to that. It's not about willpower. And what his hypothesis is, which I think is correct, is that your environment that you are living in has way more to do with your willpower. And so you, if you're out in the middle of the woods of Virginia, who you're hanging out with, who you're talking to, your circumstances, um, will have a negative impact on you in the culture that you're living in. And I think that's true across the board for people who are, are struggling and not everyone does have the opportunity to just pick up and go somewhere else. Um, and, and I think we have, uh, certainly in the United States, really a, a leadership, Sam mentioned community. There are six points of happiness. Uh, when I talk about happiness and equality, yes, it's income, it's health. It's having someone to count on. It is a sense of freedom to do what it is that you want to do. It's also generosity. It's a person's ability to help someone else and to reach out. And the U.S. has a little uh, generosity in a, or happiness inequality, um, much more than it does an income one, um, based on the World Happiness Organization of all things. Um, and we don't, we're not, we don't have the propensity to help one another, to freely help. We also have um, a, a little bit of corruption in our leadership. And so those two things are the, really what drags the United States down. And, and I only bring that up because if it's a leadership issue, I think that we are, are missing. Sam mentioned the communities, church attendance. Uh, church attendance was interesting as I was digging in really, really deep because it's not a matter of if you believe or not. It's a matter of the community that is created by right. a, I, a local church, right? Yeah, um, it's It's helping. We, a few episodes ago, we had a, a conversation about helping, giving. Um, that cr just creates a whole world of happiness and satisfaction. And usually it's through churches. 
uh, after World War II, the, the percentage of people in the United States who attend church was about 40%, and it was flat all the way up until 2020. Um, and now it's at 30%. And there's a direct correlation between um, dissatisfaction and church attendance. Um, and I don't know for sure, but it seemed to me that that sense of community, that sense of helping, um, that leadership, even on a local level, that comes from um, having a future bigger than your past is really uh, missing systemically. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. I, I agree with everything you said, and I would <clears throat> flip it over to, you know, the thing that the easy whipping post, but it's true, is social media. The amount mm-hmm. of time we spend is staring into our phones versus going to a place of worship or doing things with our community. So yeah, and and it leads to comparison. Um, there's been a lot of studies around with social media. <clears throat> Um, a lot of people are, yes, they're giving up the time on community and helping and serving, but they're also giving up the time on sleep, especially young boys and teenagers who are staying up till two o'clock in the morning and they're, um, they have not rejuvenated. And so it leads to a higher rate of suicide. It leads to a sense of unhappiness and it's just, it's directly related to lack of sleep, which is interesting yeah. in and of itself, right? So, you know, we, we often talk about our kids and, and you know, so that, let's see what happens here. But I will just point out that my son just started college. And before he, you know, in the few months leading up to college, they essentially created a um, like a platform within, I think, Snapchat, where like everyone who had this college's email address could get into. And in about a space of two months, Jake, my son, met a lot of people that were going to be starting with him in September and he met one kid that they ended up talking a lot and they ended up electing to be roommates together. And I've been checking in with him. He's been there for about a month and he's just already hanging out with a lot of those people. So converting that ability to find people from anywhere in the world who share an interest and then kind of creating community around that is also possible in a way that it never was. Yeah. And I think that can definitely be powerful. Uh, I think from my perspective at this point where we sit today, the downside of comparison, having expectations that are not met, causing lack of sleep, dopamine addiction, I think the downsides of social media are greater than their benefits at this point. Sounds good. Mark, thank you for joining me on this conversation. I loved you. your insight around scarcity and abundance and happiness, which I I think, uh, and that's why we love hanging out with entrepreneurs, visionaries, and, and innovators is because that is their language, that is their religion, um, and that's their community. So, you know, for better or worse, um, we, you and I are living the life we should be living, hanging out with the right kinds of people, mm-hmm. having the right kinds of conversations. It's a lot of fun. I, I think entrepreneurs are the uh, most unhappy, happy people ever. <laughs> I totally know what you mean. Yeah. I mean, like, they're, they're just totally always- satisfied, but never satisfied. Totally uh, easy to work with, easy to have conversations with, super happy and fun, and yet super unhappy and driven and motivated all at the same time. <laughs> it's true. Like they're, they're, they're at 11. <laughs> yes, that's right. Thanks, Mark. And thanks to Sam Clemens for uh, joining us, uh, for introducing me to this song. Uh, happy to share it with you, Mark, and we'll all be watching to see where this song goes and where it takes us. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Pat. Thanks for listening to another episode of What I See, where we explore the stories of the visionaries shaping our world. 
We hope you found insights and inspiration from our guests. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and continue to be a part of the conversation. See you next time on What I See.